onlineammo.com. Their mission, your ammunition. Now is the time to stock up if you want the best selection of hard-to-find ammo. Friendly and knowledgeable customer service, quality and selection you can count on, and the ammo you need delivered fast right to your door. OnlineAmmo.com is the real deal. And my buddy Hank Hayes, the VP of OnlineAmmo.com and Master of Firearms Training and Self-Protection, wants you to have the code ship free now on all orders over $200. OnlineAmmo.com is more than just an ammo retailer. They also have optics, accessories, and firearms for sale at OnlineAmmo.com. Their mission, your ammunition. OnlineAmmo.com. And we are loaded on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. This is the podcast all about firearms, the Second Amendment, and all things pertaining thereto. And you know me, I am your host, Royce Bartlett, still saturated with gunshot residue, toxic masculinity, and just a tantalizing whiff of the cologne of my people. And that would be Hops number nine. You know it. Hey, you know, if you need to get a hold of me, you can reach me through the Shooting Straight Radio podcast social media page like Farcebook, or you can hit me up uh, at Royce at ShootingStraightRadio.com. I really appreciate the feedback I get from many of you, and I hope it continues. Even if it's negative, I don't care. Let's talk about it. Tell me what's on your mind. Hit me up there. I never refuse to return your your messages and your emails and things like that, so you know for a fact that I will get back to you. Now, i got a great guest for you. You can hear him coughing in the background. We'll get to him in just a second. (laughs) But uh, if you'd like to get first access to all episodes, plus media content others just don't get, become a sponsor at patreon.com forward slash shooting straight radio podcast and become a sponsor there. You get stuff that nobody else gets as a special way of me saying thank you uh, for being a Patreon sponsor. All right, now I, I've already—it's already been given away that I've got a guest. I, I had all this—I had a, about a uh, probably two hours worth of podcast notes all laid out and ready to go, and then 
I started talking to this buddy of mine that I've known for a while now, probably since 2016, I think. Had him on the program, actually had the honor of doing some training with him out at the American Police Hall of Fame at one time. Uh, many of you have heard him on here before. Uh, just to give you a little bit of a background, he's done just about everything under the sun. So a shorter list would be what he hasn't done with his life. If there ever was someone who was, uh, you might classify wrongly as an overachiever, it would be this gentleman. I mean, uh, the list goes on and on. It would take me 10 minutes to read the list, and I'm not kidding you. But just to break it down a little bit, he is a martial artist. He's been a boxer. He has uh, been a Delta Force operator. He has been in multiple military capacities. He has worked in security, still works as a, as a, uh, uh, in security and personal security. And, uh, and a host of other things. He also trains Belgian Malinois, uh, some very serious badass police dogs. And that would be, that would be just very fitting that someone like him does raise badass dogs because he has a book about his life known as American Badass out about him. And you should get that book. And now I've definitely given his, his identity away for all of you that have listened to this program before, because he is the American Badass. That would be Mr. Dale Comstock. Dale, always a pleasure, brother. Yeah, thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate that. Yes, sir. Let me see if I can get you tuned up a little bit here and get your uh, volume level up. You sound a little bit far away. Okay. And yeah, uh, Dale is a serious character, man. And uh, if, if you've never seen the man, he is a fearsome looking creature. He's got a handlebar mustache and that mustache alone has 33 confirmed kills. I just want to <laughs> let you know about that. <laughs> he, he, he actually used that mustache to glide gently back to earth after a parachute malfunction <laughs> in Yemen. So I didn't, I didn't, just so you know who you're dealing with here. So Dale, it's always an honor and a pleasure, man. What is going on? on with you lately no grass grows under your feet for sure yeah actually it's uh again you know you kind of you said earlier you know i'm kind of a overachiever i actually like to think of myself as a high achiever and I ha i'm a go. shark in the water man i got to keep moving otherwise i'll drown and i'll and i'll suffocate so um i like you know being busy i like uh, being involved in a lot of things and mm -hmm. uh you know i love um, just having a whole lot of irons in the fire at the same time. So yep. right now, actually, I'm, I'm talking to you from Panama City Beach, Florida, uh, my home here. Um, my wife and I actually came back a year ago from Bali. We have a home and a business there. Right. And the weird thing was we came back for like three weeks. Um, we were invited back by a, uh, a group that uh, wanted to spend a weekend with me and my wife doing some trainings and, and networking and fellowship. And uh, so we thought three weeks would be great. And then uh, next thing you know, all the all the COVID restrictions and quarantine set in, particularly in uh, Indonesia. Um, it was World War II, Nazi Germany all over. You had police and you had soldiers on the street checking papers. Um, if you were an, a non-Indonesian, you can bet you're going to get rousted for a lot of extra money. Wow. It just got really insane. We decided, you know what, <clears throat> we'll just stay here for a minute and see if it blows over before we go back. And I'll be damned, it's been 12 months and uh, we're still here. However, we... Uh, we are going back. We've been green-lighted to go back uh, circa the first week of April. Um, that's the plan. Um, the restrictions have been lifted. They're kind of back to normalcy. Thank God for the war in Ukraine because um, that just somehow made the COVID go away. It's crazy how that <laughs> yeah, works. Right? Funny yeah. how that works. Huh? <laughs> now, is, is, your, is your business there where you raise those serious badass dogs, those Belgian Malinois, is that still intact over there? 
Well, barely. So it's got a pulse, but we took a huge hit when COVID came along because yeah. what I do is, um, you know, actually my wife and I, uh, we run a security company where we provide um, explosive detector dogs, narcotic detector dogs, and a patrol attack dogs for like the Marriott properties and a lot of the local venues. And so when COVID happened, obviously, uh, you know, all the vacationers stopped coming, the tourists stopped coming. And uh, within 90 days after this COVID thing started, uh, we had lost almost uh, 90% of our clients. And uh, we took wow. a huge hit financially. You know, it caused a lot of logistical problems because now I've got to – normally the hotels, um, you know, they board my canines. We, we build can, uh, kennels on their properties. And uh, and so now we had to remove the canines because, you know, they didn't want the liability, blah, blah, blah. So they, I, I lost – I had 45 canines. I'm down to about seven. I lost oh, wow. most of them. Yeah. And that's a huge <clears> – <throat> it's a huge financial hit because um, – Anybody out there knows anything about, you know, training canines for this type of work, you know, that these are twenty to forty thousand dollar dogs. Yes. Each. And, uh, and and amazing so animals uh, too. I've seen some of the things yeah. they can do, and it's uh, I can't. It's, it's almost like they have wings, really. I mean, they're yeah, incredible animals. Absolutely. We use a lot of Malinois over there. Um, we've also used a lot of Labradors. Um, you know, it's it basically depends on the client, and also, you know, Malinois. You know, they call them alligators for a reason because yeah. <laughs> uh, they're very high fight, high defense drive dogs, high prey drive dogs, and uh, and uh, in the wrong hands, they could you know they could be a liability. Labradors oh, yeah. not so much. So, anyways, yeah, but we got a little bit of business still going on. We're trying to go back and resurrect what's left of it, and then uh, regroup and uh, doing some other things as well. I'm, in uh, Indonesia with uh, another partner of mine. We do a lot of sourcing and things like that for the Indonesian government and other investors. So, uh, so I, I'm kind of, you know, kind of doing both here in the States. I'm doing a lot of security consulting for uh, a very large uh, department store. It's a chain has over 5,000 stores internationally, but uh, I'm doing some work for them in San Francisco. Um, San Francisco. You know, wow. Man, that I mean, bastion yeah, of communism you know, in the United States, huh? And I tell you what, they're paying a heavy price for that, you know, that way of thinking, because uh, this is the reason they're flying me and my crew all the way out here from the East Coast to, to San Francisco, because um, the crime is so high. Um, finding the quality security consultants, police uh, to help with this thing is very difficult. The, the whole defund police thing didn't work out too well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, relieving police officers because they won't get the vaccine. Well, that just cut the numbers. So. You know, they're operating on a, on, a, on a skeleton crew. They don't have enough police officers, and most of them won't even respond to, you know, any kind of, uh, you know, misdemeanor crimes. In fact, they won't even respond to felony crime unless it involves weapons. Um, mm. But uh, they just won't engage because, you know, the liability, they don't want to be sued. Um, that's, you know, it, the, the laws in San Francisco and in California favor the criminal now and uh yeah. not law enforcement or security so anyways that's a that is a circus um i could talk about that all day that it would bring tears to your eyes um what's going on and god forbid you know it's it's already spread in los angeles chicago um you know other parts of the country new york um has just adopted some of the same policies san francisco has yep and uh it's not going to bode well hopefully they can just keep it in their cities and it doesn't spread anywhere else but anyways i've been involved in that and uh you know, I got a lot of other things in the fire, but anyways, that's kind of the kind of the gist of it. Well, very cool, man. I tell you, um, I, I half expected when I messaged you earlier 
uh, that you are probably be in the middle of a firefight somewhere or something because uh, you've also done, uh, what should I say, you've worked for military contractors and things like that before in your past too and yeah. uh, done, done a, seen a lot of action in your day. Uh, I mean, if people knew half the crap that you have done, uh, even half the crap that I know you've done, <laughs> they probably go, wow, how is this guy still alive? I know uh, yeah. when I had you on, when, when my program was on the air live still on WMMB, uh, you talked about a helicopter crash that you've been involved in. And uh, what was really great about it was the mindset you were talking about, how you had planned for such an event. And in such event, you'd already planned out what you were going to do if you were ever in a helicopter crash and how that yeah. probably saved your life. And I thought, well, that is just a cool way uh, and, and a great illustration uh, about the uh, the power of forethought and things like that and proper planning. So uh, I, I'm surprised you are still alive, too, man. You, you've been in the soup. So, uh, I'm glad yeah. you are. And I'm glad to have made your friendship years ago and uh, and had you on the program. How, I don't know how many times now and hopefully many times more in the future because uh uh, you've always got fresh stuff to talk about. That's the nice thing. So, uh, yeah, know. my life is never is never dull, man. I, and again, I was talking <laughs> to uh, uh, a friend of mine earlier about uh, some of my life stories. So he's in the in the business of Hollywood production, things like that. Now he's he's a conservative. Um, he has somewhat of a different agenda, but nonetheless, we were talking about you know stories and some potential TV shows and things like that that he's working on that might include some of my uh, so some of my stories, but, um, yeah, you know, uh, um, go back and just a little bit up, you know, yeah, but the helicopter crash. Um, and I mentioned to him the same thing. I said, look, I should, I, I mean, I should have been dead like 20 times already. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I keep getting, <clears throat> I keep dodging the bullet, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and then, no pun intended. I mean, really dodging bullets, <laughs> dodging IEDs, dodging helicopter crashes. Um, I can go on all day long. And I remember one time speaking to uh, Arlene Tour. She's an actress in Hollywood. And I was kind of telling her some of the stories. And she's like, man, you're like a cat with nine lives. I go, no, I'm like a litter of kittens because and I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out what in the hell is going on. Because all I can think of is somebody saving me for something big. Um, but to your point as well about, you know, um, almost, you know, planning for, you know, planning for something bad to happen and already, you know, having a, a boilerplate response for it. That's, there's a lot of truth to it. I, I teach autogenic conditioning and future pacing, and it's a form of mindset that helps. Mm -hmm. uh, and I will actually tell you that everything I've achieved today, all my successes, um, <laughs> all the times I survived had to do it's with exactly that. It's a certain type of mindset. It's not what you think, it's how you think it's important. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of my performance coaching program mm -hmm. as well. Uh, where I teach people to really to be the best version of themselves and achieve anything they want. Yeah, I forgot to, um, I forgot to talk about that part of your resume because there's so many other things on there. Not to mention yeah, Hollywood you know actor. What, so. I, I can't I can't even keep up with it all either. You know, it's, you're right. I got so much on the plate. You know, you write acting and everything else, and and so people, you know, they they you know it makes people's head spin sometimes when they wonder how much I have achieved and. And I remember somebody once asked me, "Go, how did you do so much?" And I really didn't know the answer. I didn't think about it. Until, you know, they said that. And then after I started doing some analysis, I realized it's, uh, you know, I, I want to say it's partly genetic because my dad was a type A. He was always on the go. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's also, you know, you have choices in life and you can be sedentary and make all kinds of excuses why you can't do anything. Or mm -hmm. you just go out and grab the world by the balls and, you know, and try everything, you know. And, um, and look, you know, I, I get my sleep. 
Um, but I also tell people I'll sleep when I'm dead, you know, the rest <laughs> yeah. of my sleep. In the meantime, I want to enjoy my time here, the experience as much as I can, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, earlier you mentioned also about, you know, my, a little bit about my military background. For all the listeners out there, so I, I grew up in a military culture. My father was in the Army for 20 years. Um, spent most of my childhood growing up in Germany. My mother's German, half my family's German. And, uh, and then we finally moved to the U.S. and we lived in quite a few uh, uh, bases across the country. And then um, when my dad retired, I was 17. And we ended up ready for this in San Francisco. Um, that's where he got a job in, uh, in the Bay Area. And uh, for me, coming out of the military culture and going into the civilian culture, particularly there in San Francisco, which wasn't as quite as bad then as it is today, but it yeah, was different. Yeah, I can imagine. And, uh, yeah, and I was a fish out of water, you know. And all I could think about was, you know, when I'm old enough, I want to go back into the military, into the life and the culture that I know. And that's what brought me to the service. Um, and so I went in and 1981, in fact. I did 20 years in the Army as a Green Beret, as an 82nd Airborne Division paratrooper, scout. Um, I spent 10 years as a Delta Force operator. Um, and I finally retired <clears throat> actually one month before 9-11. Wow. Uh, in 2001. Yeah. And uh, I'd already started a security business before I got out. Um, and then I got uh, I got a phone call from what we'll is called OGA. And, uh, you know, basically I was recruited to do the same job I did in the military, mm-hmm. but made a lot more money and only worked with a couple other guys going down range. So I did that. I think I'm going to do it for about a year. You know, check that block. To me, I thought that was the final frontier. And uh, and how cool would that be? And so I did. And nine and a half years later, I'm still slinging lead on their behalf. Oh, it was only supposed to be a year, and I'm still doing this. Wow. Um, and then what finally happened was I had uh, two, a couple of things happen. Epiphany set in. One was I was approached by a company, and uh, they, they, they basically – I had started another virtual company. I sold the first one to G4S in 2004. Then I reincorporated. I had a virtual company. I did have some service agreements in the nuclear industry. And uh, I got a call from a company. said, listen, we'd like to talk to you. If you can help us garner this contract with Shell Oil Company, um, you know, we will buy your company. You can run your company under us, blah, blah, blah. And so all that happened. And uh, and so that was at that point I realized that uh, I'm going to walk away from this government job. And also at the same time, I ended up in Hollywood. Um, so my first TV show was on discovery channel, mm-hmm. one man army. And then, uh, so I thought that was just a, you know, a one-time deal went off. And then, uh, next thing you know, I'm getting called by NBC. Uh, I ended up on stars and stripes with Terry Crews and yeah. then I got surrounded by a management team and, you know, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm going from an action guy to uh, a fake action guy in Hollywood. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so wow. all that happened and then, uh, that didn't work out. Only reason it didn't work out. Um, it was another, for me, it was another culture shock, if you will. So I spent a couple of years out there. I can imagine. Um, I was doing a lot of cool stuff and I had a lot of potential. Um, a lot of people thought I could be the next Danny Trejo if I would just move to Los Angeles. Um, and I had to, I had to have a long conversation with myself. I said, self, this is really what you want to do. You want to be a guy kind of faking the funk or you want to go out there and, and be who you, you know, be who you really are, you know? And so it was at that point, um, I ended up going to Hong Kong and running security detail for a multi-billionaire investment banker, um, which was actually where I met my wife as well. She's actually Indonesian. Mm-hmm. And then one thing led to another. We ended up in Indonesia. I looked around, saw some business opportunities in Jakarta and, uh, somehow, and ended up meeting some, uh, another billionaire, became business partners with him for a minute. We started up a company and then I actually 
pull stakes, loaded up some police trucks, loaded all my gear, my wife and motorcycle and dogs, and we went down to Bali over four and a half years ago, and uh, we opened shop down there, and uh, we ran a security company there. So um, on the military side of the house, so <clears throat> I didn't quite get out of the fight. I thought I did, but I didn't. Um, you know, it's one of those things that once you've been there, you know, you always want to go back to the well and take another drink. So mm-hmm. I got an opportunity in 2015 from the same group, group guys I've been working for, doing some other work in South Africa and Mexico and Hong Kong, and uh, ended up uh, going down the road of a mercenary, uh, not a contractor, but an actual mercenary. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's, a diff- there's a big difference in, right, you know, a mercenary and a contractor. A contractor usually works for a company that's working for its own government. In this case, as a mercenary, I'm working for foreign governments and doing the bidding on their behalf. And there's two types of mercenaries. One is the guy that's guided by his morals, and of course he wants to get paid, and then the other guy just don't give a shit about nothing. As long as he's getting paid, everybody gets a hole in him. So I'm not that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started doing some of that, and uh, it's out on the internet, quite a bit of that as well. And uh, it was not something I put out there. It's something that I had to basically address and get in front of because uh, it was spinning out of control really fast because yep. uh, there was a SEAL that decided he wanted to make this a Hollywood movie. And you know the old saying goes, what, stays in, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and, mm-hmm. and that's the same thing in these operations. You know, it's OPSEC, operational security. Right. Whatever you do downrange stays downrange. That's the, that's the thing because it's not because we don't want people to know what we're doing, which is true. We don't, but what we don't want to have happen is we don't want to get ourselves killed or our families hurt um, in the, you know, back home, which is exactly what happened because of this guy. Wow. He actually threw out our names. Uh, the, you know, next thing you know, we had one of the guys on the team who got shot um, in the stomach by a bunch of Arabs. Um, I won't go into all the details on that. And then another mosque was um, attacked by a uh, basically a, a guy coming in with, with gun and, and he started shooting and killing people, killed three people in the mosque, which was also the same, not mosque, I'm sorry, but um, synagogue mm-hmm. were, uh, our, uh, our boss basically used to go to. So anyways, I did a little bit of that and I've just kind of been floating around between Bali, the United States, um, doing different types of security contracting and things like that. And, uh, just kind of enjoying my life, man. Not having to wake up and answer to a boss every morning. Uh-huh. I haven't done that in over 20 years anyways, but it's nice to be, you know, um, be your own boss and uh, in charge of your own destiny, whether it's good or whether it's bad. So well, here we are. I got a feeling, and, uh, though, you being your own boss, you're probably working for one of the uh, <laughs> the biggest hard asses that you've ever worked for in your life. Because yeah. you're as, as much as you as you are a very self determined and self driven person and self motivated. Uh, I, I'd, I'd be willing to bet that uh, you're harder to work for than anybody than anybody I, else. I'm, so. I'm really tough on myself. Everybody yes. else, you know, I'm very good to it. Like my employees in Indonesia, you know, we have uh, 65 mm-hmm. canine handlers or had, um, you know, and I, I treated them with uh, a lot of dignity, and respect. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a hard ass, no. uh, but I am a hard ass on myself. Right. And I take full responsibility for any of my failures, including, you know, my company's failures or any, you know, anybody that's working with me or part of the team. If there's a failure, it always rests on my shoulder. And that's, you know, that accountability thing. Um, but yeah, you're right. I have to, I have to be tough on myself. I have to have that self-discipline, uh, to get my ass out of bed, get in front of my computer, go to work, do the things that, uh, you know, are required. Otherwise, you know, it's like I said earlier, that shark, you know, I stop moving, I die. Amen. You know, and when yeah. I die, everybody else dies. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> me too, buddy. I mean, I work a full time job. I do this uh, podcast, and if, if people think that all you all you do is sit down in front of a microphone and start yakking, uh, they have no idea. 
Uh, no. And also as a firearms instructor, and I actually recently just started another corporation, uh, the fifth one or sixth one that I've owned now. And, and I've put all my training, my firearms training, and my uh, my broadcasting stuff under one umbrella, which makes it a whole lot easier for me now. But, um, yeah, yeah this, the, the, I am too. I am the hardest dude in the planet I've ever worked for. Uh, I, I am an absolute jerk to myself, but <laughs> I'm not. But you know what? what? That's, that's why you're a one percenter, right? So, you know, the reality is this statistically only one percent of the population, um, you know, realize the dream. They live the dream. Right. And so, you know, your work, you're right. Your work being a business owner, uh, being independent is not, it's not fun time. It's actual work. And yes. You have to put the time into it, but there's, you know, the, the satisfying part about it is. You know, you're responsible for your own, you know, your own failures or your own successes. Yep. And uh, you're not depending on somebody else. Right. You're not you're not making other people rich. Hopefully you're making yourself rich. And um, sometimes people don't get that. But that's why only one percent uh, of the world's population are actually successful doing the things they want to do. Yeah. Because, you know, when you get kicked in the balls, you fall down, you, you know, you keep hitting obstacles. Um, it's the guy that keeps picking himself up and keeps forging ahead that's that's become successful. Everybody Very else goes, oh, this is too hard. They become dissuaded, you know, and they, they wander off and do something else. And then they just wonder why they can't ever get really ahead where they want to be. It's because, you know, they just don't um, they just don't focus. You know, they don't focus on their purpose and their objective. And that's the difference between the one percenters. So yeah, they focus um, on their people, failures a lot. They look backwards, and it'd be easier for me to do because, like I said, I've owned multiple companies, and and none of them took me where I wanted to go. But yep. um, if, if if they thought that was going to stop me, and yeah, there were a matter of fact, the first company I ever had, uh, when 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 that went under, uh, I went. You know, I was like twenty nine or thirty years old. Uh, I actually went through a, sh- a short bout with depression, and then I started thinking, you know what, get up off your butt, quit mully grubbing, quit being a little sissy, and, and get out there, and you're not going to do a darn thing by sitting there feeling sorry for yourself. And since that yeah. day, uh, I am the I am that boss that will literally just about cuss myself out and tell me to get up off your ass and get moving. <laughs> and, yeah, and so that, Now, anybody else, uh, I don't do that to. And I can attest yeah. to you being that way also, because... Uh, uh, when I had the honor of training with you there at the American Police Hall of Fame, uh, I, I halfway I halfway expected a drill instructor mentality, and and when I didn't get it from you, I was like, well, I was kind of hoping to get kicked in the butt today by Dale Comstock, and I didn't. I'm so kind of disappointed, but the instruction I got from you that day, I have woven into my uh, firearms training that I do as an instructor, and uh, having you know train with guys with you and other guys like you in in that. Uh, uh, top tier world uh, has really enhanced my abilities as an instructor. So uh, yeah. I, I really appreciate you. That's for sure. Dale, let's take a yeah. quick commercial break. We'll come back and we'll, uh, I, I want definitely want to hear some more Dale Comstock. So y'all, uh, y'all Comstock, Comstock, y'all stick around. We've got some more Dale Comstock to go on the shooting straight radio podcast. Hey everybody. Rock and Rod from Sigerman here. Let's talk about money. You have it and so do I. If you give me money, I can get you guns. If you have guns to get rid of, I can get you money. Got a lot of stuff in stock. Uh, Best way to reach me is through the text, which I will give you that number a little bit later on. Got a bunch of inventory, AR, shotguns, tons of handguns, etc. And if you do, like I said, if you got stuff you need to sell, hit me up. 
We're always looking to acquire nice used guns. We'll even take some ugly ones once in a while. This is Rockin' Rod from Sigerman, and you can reach me at 561-445-0429. 561-445-0429. Either by voicemail or by text. Take care, everybody. Sigerman, godfather of the dirty hippie mafia. The Shooting Straight Radio Podcast is proudly sponsored in part by The Gun Sight in Merritt Island with a nine-lane, 25-yard indoor shooting range, handgun and machine gun rentals, a fully stocked gun store with plenty of long guns, handguns, ammunition, and accessories to choose from. They're your one-stop shop in Merritt Island for all things necessary to responsibly exercise your Second Amendment right. Check them out at gunsightrange.com or stop by in person at 125 South Banana River Drive. And make sure you tell them that you heard about the Gunsight on the Shooting Straight Radio Podcast. And back with more Dale Comstock. Dr. Dale Comstock is something else people don't realize you may or may not have done or, or may or may not realize you've done, I'm sorry, as you've earned a doctorate degree. What's that doctorate degree in? It's actually, uh, technically, it's nat- naturopathy, but it, it's a focus on alternative medicine and natural health. And, Very cool. Um, yeah, you know, and it's, uh, it was for, you know, I, I pursued that just for my own self-education. Um, and, you know, that's it. I don't know much with it other than for my performance coaching. I do help people, you know, lose weight and eat differently and, and kind of educate them on, um, you know, diseases and what's what's really true and what's just bullshit, you know, peddled by the pharmacy companies and things like that. Right. But uh, I have a master's degree in business and organizational security management. Um, you know, here's a funny thing. I, again, I was thinking about this yesterday. It's like, man, I got all this time in education, you know, I, you know, eight years of formal education. And I spent a lot of money doing that. And I asked myself, okay, what did I really learn? And then what I really learned out of all this was how to go actually just do my own research and learn to teach myself because that's what professors do. They give you a homework assignment. You go write an essay. You do the research mm-hmm. and you make them smarter and, and richer. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and I thought, you know, how important is an education? Important education is important, but you really don't need to have a diploma. Um, yes. You know, um, and so you can self-educate yourself, you know. And so I'm, I'm a big proponent for that. And uh, I share a lot of my experiences with people because – they, I, I can teach you a lot without having to make you crack a bunch of books and do a lot of reading. Right. right. And, uh, but yeah, that my doctoral degree, actually, I always joke with people on master's degree, right? Business and organizational security management. The only thing I learned out of that was the word paradigm. And so, <laughs> and, uh, and it was probably the most important word that I could learn because, you know, I remember my instructor was talking about, um, you know, finding paradigms in the security, in the security world, right? What that means is basically, uh, anticipating the next, uh, you know, the next, the next threat, the next uh, opportunity in the world of security, right? And, uh, and there will be a paradigm shift. And so, that word has actually made me a lot of money because what I am now is a forward-looking thinker. I'm always looking ahead, going, okay, what's what could potentially happen next? What would the could the terrorists do next? Mm-hmm. Um, and I see that, and I and I I'm, I think like a terrorist, and then I come back to clients, go, listen. I think this is on the horizon. I think here's an opportunity to mitigate that. And that's where I make my money. I've been right on many occasions. Um, and that's where, 
you know, most people are just reacting, especially in security. They react to something happened and they try to fix it. And, you know, the bad guy is always one or two steps ahead of everybody right. else. The goal is to be on step with him or right in front of him. And, uh, and that's where you make your money. That's where a good security consultant, uh, you know, can be a, a, a value. And so anyways, yeah, paradigm. That's, I paid a lot of money for that word, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I got a lot of money because of it too. Right. So it changed my way of thinking. Yeah. What you got to do, Dale, is one day tally up all the money you spent on that daggum word paradigm know, and tell right? people how much money that, how much money that word is actually worth. And that might be yeah. a good, a good lead in to some of your motivational seminars and stuff, sir. Yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It, that, that word, has made me a lot of money, which is really amazing. Um, it's not the word so much; it's the idea, right? You know, and uh, it's yeah, it's made. I've just made me bank. So. Learning what the word is all about, right? And then how to how to how to yeah. how, how to harness it and and bring That's it right. into your world. Yeah, very yeah, cool. It's amazing. All right. Yeah, so, we're living. In- go ahead. Go I'm ahead. sorry. So you you uh, no. you were talking about your Hollywood uh, quote unquote career. It really wasn't a career. Uh, but you got to hang out with guys like Terry Crews. I saw a lot of your uh, photos and stuff on social media. I thought that must that guy must be a freaking hoot, really. I mean, just yeah. uh, his, his personality screams uh, that he's a lot of fun. Tell us a little bit about Terry Crews, just for entertainment purposes. Yeah, he's probably one of the most decent men I've ever met. Yeah. Um, there's no gray area with him. You know, there's none, man. And he tells you. I feel like he's always honest and he, you know, if he doesn't know something, he'll tell you that. But, uh, um, he just seems to be, he's just one of the coolest guys. He's a guy you can sit down with and you can listen to him for hours, just listen to him talk, you mm-hmm. know, and not even interrupt. Just, he's just got such great insight on so many levels. And, uh, <laughs> but he's a smart business guy. You know, he knows, you know, to be careful what he says, because at the end of the day, you know, cause his business his his bottom line depends on his public image, right? right. And uh, I remember last year, um, you know, or t- prior to that, when uh, you know all the riots were going down and BLM and Antifa and blah blah blah. And, right. And he made a comment on Instagram, something to the fact that you know, um, you know, all lives matter, guys. You know, you know, we need to stop all this, you know, racial divide crap. You know, and uh, man, that guy got hammered by so many people. Um, they call him a sellout and uncle Tom, you know, but what I got to give him kudos for, he, he stood his ground. Um, he, he stood behind his belief system, which is what I totally expected from him, you know, right. he chatted a bit, you know, and, uh, cause I still talk to him to this day, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I commended him for that. It's like, you know what you, you, that's, a, that's the mark of a good man that can stand to, you know, stand his ground and, uh, and behind his principles, you know, and not Absolutely. be swayed by the, by the mob, you know, and he's one of those guys that, uh, he did that. He weathered it, and he's he's just fine for it today, you know. But uh, he's an amazing guy, really amazing guy. Um, man, I, I love this guy like my brother. Man, he's a really good dude, and, um, and you know, I enjoy the time with him. Very giving. Um, just man, not even not pretentious or anything. Man, he's just mm-hmm. a solid dude. Man, even his wife, I've met her before, and um, just really good people. Funnier as hell. He's just funny, and he's always laughing, man. Even when he's telling stories, you, you can't help but laugh with him. He could be laughing about nothing, but 
it's just funny watching him laugh, so you laugh with him, you know? <laughs> yeah, kind of like one of those Dom DeLuise characters when they start laughing, yeah. you have to laugh with them, right? <laughs> Absolutely, man. Great well, guy. What, what now, yeah. I've seen you uh, in a couple of photos with uh, Jason Statham, or Statham, or however you pronounce his yeah. last name. Now, i just got to ask this question here. Um, how many of those guys in their acting career have learned a lot of their stuff from guys like you in order to bring that to the screen? You know what? I, I really don't know about Jason. Um, I saw so that particular picture that you referred to. I was invited to come out uh, to L.A. Um, for the premiere of The Expendables when it came out with Terry Crews. Actually, he he flew me out there at the time and, uh, you know, put me up in the hotel, the limousine, the whole nine yards. So I got to go to the after party and meet, you know, Jason Stratham, um, Sylvester Stallone, you know, most of the cast from The Expendables. I even went and watched the, the premiere and um, – so something kind of weird happened, man. And uh, hopefully this doesn't sound too bad when I say this, but, you know, <laughs> Terry's just a great guy. He's like, man, I want you to just, I want to introduce you to everybody, you know? And uh, there's some YouTube video out there. It shows you just how gracious he is. We went out to eat one night, me and him, at a place called Maestro's. And when we came out, uh, you know, paparazzi was, was waiting for us. And they wanted to talk to Terry, you know? And, man, he was like, no, no, no. He goes, you know what, guys? I want to introduce you to, you know, the American badass, my friend, blah, blah, blah. And he just put me front and center and he put all the direction, the cameras and lights on me. Um, he didn't, I mean, he could have easily, you know, been the glory hound and promoted himself, but he just took that opportunity. It's like, and hey, now I want you to talk to this guy. It's more important, you know, but that's how he is. And, uh, right. and so that particular night, I remember, you know, we walked around and, and, uh, he, so we went over to Sylvester Stallone. He had this like little, you know, we're around the pool area and he had this, uh, I don't know what you call it, a little cabana thing going on there. And he you were at Stallone's house? No, we were at, we were at a, um, like on the top of a hotel. Oh, Like okay. on a rooftop, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and so big party, I mean, everybody's, all the you know, celebrities were there. And so we go over there and <clears throat> he wants to introduce me to Sly or Sylvester. Um, and uh, so... When I walk over there, he stands up, and the two bodyguards are standing there, and and Terry's like, "Go, hey man!" He goes, "I want you to, to meet the real American badass, you know, the guy, you know, we're making movies about and stuff like that. You know, this is the real deal, you know." And uh, I'm pretty humble, you know. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't expecting that kind of a uh, introduction, but he did, and and so you know, I went to shake his hand. Hey, how you doing? My name's Dale, and uh, he shook my hand, and then. And from right there, he, he broke eye contact and never looked at me again or talked to me or anything. It just, just focused on Terry. Completely blew me off, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, um, wow. Like, wow. And, and he's short, too, by the way. Yeah. Um, so, so I hear he's, he's about five foot nothing. Yeah, yeah. he's not very, not very big, you know. But I thought it was kind of interesting, that, you know, the, the way he reacted to me. But, I, you know, I, wasn't, I didn't care. I don't need his approval or anything. So we nope. moved on. And, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then Jason Stratham was the funny one, right? So he's over there with uh, – uh, what was his name? Um, another guy. Anyways, uh, he's a wrestler, but uh, Couture. So Randy Couture. Was, yeah, Randy Couture was there. Oh and, yeah, uh, that that dude's a, that dude's a badass in his own right for sure. So yeah, and uh, so you know, my ex-wife at the time was like she you know had an infatuation for you know like all women over Jason Stratham. I want to meet Jason Stratham. I said, come on over here, you know. I'm, uh, so I introduced him, you know, and and uh, took a little group photo and. Uh, so Jason Stratham was drunk as hell. And, uh, you know, and my wife later on told me, she said, I think he pinched my ass. <laughs> I was like, well, whatever. <laughs> I said, you know, do you enjoy it? You got to meet your, you know, 
Yeah, that'd be a headline I'd like to see. Jason Stratham yeah. decked by jealous husband. Yeah, no, decked by the American badass. Yeah, I wasn't jealous. You know, I was just, hey, man, I was cool with that. It's like, you know, everybody's having a good time, you know, and and uh, he was cool. You know, he mm-hmm. it was a fine man. You know, but anyways, that was where that picture originated. I uh, was from there at that time. Um, you know, anyway, she got her she got her moment and uh I got the picture. So we're <laughs> <laughs> what a trade, man. What a trade. Yeah. So, yeah, the Hollywood thing though, I tell you, man, I, I did it for a couple of years and uh I got involved with some really, like, really weird stuff. I can't really go into that. We we kind of talked earlier about it, you know, about right. the Chinese and Russian influence in Hollywood. Um, yeah. it's real and uh it's very real. And uh, you know, they own most of Hollywood or they have a really, they have a lot of influence. They actually have a lot of influence in content, uh, what's put out there in front of the public, particularly mm-hmm. in America. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's become a, a tool for psychological operations. It's just another yes. medium for them to leverage. And they've done that over the years, you know, um, you know, we, we're not so sovereign as a country after all. And, uh, it's, it was really a painfully obvious when I was out there what was going on behind the scenes because I was working with certain people, um, you know, from the intel community as well. And although I wasn't read on initially later on, I kind of was. And little did I know, I was kind of a prop as well and didn't know that either. Um, but uh, it worked out all the way around. But what I learned very quickly was these people are not, you know, this is not my rule. This is not my culture. And, uh, and I really just kind of, you know, most of the people with some few exceptions, you know, like Terry Crews, obviously Dean Kane, you know, I met Todd Palin, you know, there's guys out there that are real. There's some good people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of people out there that are just fake, obviously because they're acting And two, they're just conniving and they're crooks, man. Um, I had a conversation before we talked today <laughs> with a uh, part of my management team at the time. And they talked about how much of our material was stolen. Yeah, um, I believe you know, that. Uh, on, on many and on many levels, man, it was basically stolen, recreated, um, you know, and that's that's the play out there, man. It's uh, there's just no honor, man. Um, A lot like no Washington D.C. You mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, dude. It's you know, and uh, so I just decided that's not what I want. It's not for me. And I basically pulled chalks and pulled pitch and ended up in Hong Kong and Indonesia, and actually quite happy in Indonesia. Um, there just doesn't seem this kind of it's peaceful, I guess, is what I'm say, trying to say. It's very peaceful over there. Yeah, I can well, focus on going uh, to the beach and enjoying the life and the culture and and not all this other craziness that's all over the media. Yeah, we've we've spoken before, and even on my program uh, when it was still on the air, you talked about how uh, essentially idyllic life was there in Indonesia, even though there are multiple yeah. different religions and everything like that. But everybody seemed to get along just fine. I said, "Well, wow, that'd be great to happen here." Uh, yeah. we're going to take a, another quick commercial break, Dale, and we'll be right back. Cause I got a couple of other, so a couple of other questions I want to ask you in regards to what you just said. And what, if you can't talk about them, I understand. I know there's certain things you can and cannot talk about, uh, in regards to what was going on out there on the left, cl- on the left coast, what I call the communist occupied territory of California, <laughs> but we'll be right back with more Dale Comstock, the American badass on the shooting straight radio podcast. Stick around. Freedom Guns in Rockledge, just north of Rockledge High School, on the opposite side of the road, 1255 Florida Avenue, Suite A. You can check them out at freedom-guns.com. 
And better yet, just stop in there in person and meet Mike and his son, Mike, and Dennis and the rest of the crew out there. Got a great selection of handguns, bomb guns, ammunition, accessories, holsters, magazines. What are you looking for? Mike and the boys got you covered out there at Freedom Guns. If you need a nice big Liberty safe to stow all them guns in, well, he offers those too. He's got a floor full of them out there you can look at, and he offers free delivery and installation. Again, check them out at freedom-guns.com. When you stop down there or if you're out of state and you call and maybe order a gun from him and have it shipped to your dealer, make sure you tell him you heard about him on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. The American Police Hall of Fame, proud sponsors of the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. Who are we? We're the keepers of the history of individual law enforcement officers. We are a facility that honors the fallen and supports their families. We are a training facility that teaches civilians how to be their own first responder. We are a venue that offers free tactical and strategic training for sworn officers. We are a great place to visit and learn. Go to APHF.org to find out more. Back with more of the American Badass, Mr. Dale Comstock, whose mustache has 33 confirmed kills alone. You better believe it. (laughs) Great guy. (laughs) Um. I tell you, I, I, I stole that little moniker from somebody. I forget who it was, but I said, that's Dale, man. I like that. Um, uh, you were talking about how the the influence of Russia and China in Hollywood, which is essentially our media in many, in very, you know, in a very real way, and um, the obviously that has some influence here on American life. Um, is that also, or basically, is that an American tactic that they've adopted and now used against us? Um, I don't think so. I think it's just, I think every, you know, at least every first world government uses these types of tactics <clears throat> on, on each other. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not, you know, we're not the only ones that have an Intel capability. Everybody's constantly developing it. Um, I'm sure we're doing something similar over there. I'm sure the British are doing it to the Germans. The Germans are doing it to the Italians. You know, everybody's doing it to each other. Um, you know, knowledge is power. And uh, <clears throat> the more you know about, you know, a country and, and you know about their culture and things like that, their economies, mm-hmm. uh, the, the easier it is to manipulate it and uh, manipulate it in your favor. So, for example, in the last couple of days, I've seen some um, reporting that uh, <clears throat> the Russians in the past – have actually been uh, heavily influencing um, the media as it concerns electric vehicles and how bad oil is, right? And mm-hmm. they've had a they've had a, a hand in stuff like that, you know. Um, so, you know, so if you think about it, if it's if it's true, they've convinced you know a good majority of Americans that oil is bad. We got to get rid of oil. We got to get get rid of it as of yesterday, and we need all electric cars today. And um, knowing that, look. There's no way they can make enough electric cars for everybody. There's not enough material in the ground yep. to make enough uh, electric cars for everybody. At least not w- maybe one car for the re- for your entire life, and after that, we're going to run out of the materials for it. But mm-hmm. um, but if they can get us thinking, oh my God, we got to go electric vehicles, mm-hmm. and they create a situation where now there's a oil shortage. Um, 
you know, what have they done? They've, you know, they, think about the, the, the fallout from all this right now. So, so now all of a sudden the narrative has changed from, well, Biden's actually the one that closed down the pipeline. And then all of a sudden the oil prices went through the roof. It didn't happen to Trump. And then, but now all of a sudden there's an opportunity. To, oh, it's the Russians' fault that oil prices are high. Uh, wait a minute. You know, mm-hmm. this is just starting to happen, but everybody's out there lying. Everybody's deflecting, um, you know, and uh, it's all smoke and mirrors at the end of the day. But, oh, yeah. the, you know, to answer your question is kind of going off on a tangent is, yeah, everybody does it, um, you know, and, and it works. Um, you know, it works better than actually slinging bullets and missiles at each other. If you can if you can beat your enemy, you know, before you even go to the fight, then you've won, you know. And, Absolutely. And kind of, that's what's happened. To, and that's actually what's happened to us here in America. We have they've effectively <laughs> caused the fight with each other. Um and, you know, the, the, the politicians, you know, that the purveyors of all this, this mischief, you know, these are the ones that line their pockets, oh, yeah. you know, they're, wa- they're having fun watching us fight each other and be mad at each other while they're, while they're getting wealthy. They don't give a shit about anything else. Um, they just care about themselves and they're using us to do that. And a lot of and, them are getting uh, paid by China too. Okay. I don't know if you checked out Peter Schweitzer's yeah. book, red handed, but a lot of those guys on both sides of the aisle were being enriched by literally our enemies, the enemies of uh, the Constitution. And in Absolutely. so doing, I'll tell you what, I, I'm sorry, that's an act of treason as far as I'm concerned, and they should be sitting in prison. So, But nobody cares anymore, right? Nobody cares because they've got everybody focusing only we on, yeah, they care about themselves and what do I get out of this, right? And, uh, and so, they, you know, they dangle the carrot out there. Well, I'm going to give you a I'm going to give you a thousand dollar bonus if you if you elect me. Right. I mean, it's just some of the bullshit and people will do that for a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just insane. But we earlier you asked me not on the show, but you asked me something about uh, Ukraine. You know uh, what my thoughts were on it. A lot of people have asked me, hey, am I going to go down range and, uh, you know, go down there and support the cause, you know, and and I. And I shocked a lot of people when I gave them my answer because they weren't expecting that out of me, considering my background. Right. Um, and that is, I said, no, I ain't going down there. You know why? For a whole lot of reasons, right? I'm old enough, wise enough, um, that I can now do use my critical thinking skills. And uh, and what I look at, the way I see it is like this. Um, first of all, <clears throat> why are we? Why do we even care about the Ukrainian border and their sovereignty when we don't even care about ours? Right. Good question. We're not, we don't care. We're being invaded. We got millions of people coming in. We don't even know who these people are or what they intend to do. I'll tell you this: what I do know, having worked with some of the oil companies and refineries down on the border on Texas, they're literally recovering caches, okay, with weapons, explosives, um, RPGs, um, ISIS flags. They're actually they're actually pulling these caches up. Yep, that hasn't made the news. There's a reason for all that, um, and so. We don't know who's coming across the borders. We don't know who's being radicalized in our countries, but we have a war within that uh, is, 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 is bubbling up. Um, so why aren't we addressing that? Why are we, why are we sending billions of dollars, U.S. tax money, our tax money to Ukraine to support them? Um, literally, it just passed a $1.3 trillion stimulus package with a good chunk of that money going to the Ukrainian defense. And I'm like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, but our border wall only cost five billion dollars. How come we didn't finish building that? Good right? question. We got the money, you know. We got the money to build everybody mm-hmm. else's armies and shit, but mm-hmm. no, we we can't take care of ourselves. And we are being invaded, and uh, so I see it like that. It's like, so why are we going over there? Why do we even care? Okay, um, I look at it like this: we know that 
okay, Biden and his boys, you know, had they had uh, investments with Burisma. We know we heard Biden on television basically blackmail the Ukrainian government, said, if you don't get rid of that guy, you're not going to get your billion dollars yep. that we promised. Brag right? about it so, during the election. Absolutely. Right. So I see all this and, and we know that there's other politicians who have investments. Their kids have investments in these companies. over. We also know that, you know, Ukraine is not actually, uh, you know, squeaky clean either. Um, they've got their drama. Right. So here's yep. a funny one that I find interesting. So um, they've got uh, what's it called? The um, um, Azov Brigade. I can't remember now, um, but it's a it's a it's a Nazi party, a Nazi uh, a fasc- uh, a segment uh, in their in their military. Mm-hmm. And uh and so here we got Americans over here calling Republicans and conservatives Nazis and fascism, yet they're all all in with supporting Nazis and fascism in Ukraine. Uh, right. Yeah. You know? And no one's I talking mean, about that in the media. This this is what's galling. You know this because you 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 know, you still got friends in the Intel world and stuff, and maybe you're active yourself still. But uh, the, it, I told you this in our pre-show conversation. Um, whoever the media is demonizing uh, is probably not the bad guy. Because Absolutely, you think about man. it, they, they demonize me as a keeper and bearer of arms. They demonize you as a keeper and bearer of arms and as a conservative man, uh, someone who believes in the Constitution, someone who upholds and defends it, even with his own life. And we are constantly demonized in the media. So as soon as they start demonizing Vladimir Putin, I'm not saying he's a choir boy. Well, I think anybody with the brain of a boiled cabbage knows good and stinking well. He's not. He's a former KGB dude, and he's very ruthless. But um, when the media begins to take sides, my automatic impulse is to take the opposite side because our media has proven themselves to be repeatedly on the wrong side of things. So that's my two cents on that. And I agree with you on that. You know, it's funny you mentioned uh, the weapons, right? Firearms 2A in America. So everybody on the left is against 2A, you know, guns are bad. Guns kill people, not people, but guns kill people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all about, hey, arming the civilian population in Ukraine to fight the Russians. Like, right. ain't that amazing, right? Yeah. Ain't, that's actually why 2A is in place. It's not yes. about money. And then it's really the- not even about self-defense and home defense. It's actually about fighting a tyrannical government. Yes. Um, whether it's our own government or, you know, it'd probably never be the Canadians or the Mexicans, but it could have been. Um, that's what it's all about. And so... Another point I want to make was, you know, another reason I don't support going over there um, is the Europeans, right? So NATO. Okay, these people have been on our dole forever, right? We've been oh, yeah. putting all kinds of money into this program, defending mm-hmm. their asses. Um, Trump said, no, enough is enough. You guys start paying for your own defense. You know, of course, Biden came back and no, 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 give them money. And, um, and so about a week ago, one of the generals from the German army came out and said, basically – all I have is a parade army. You know, we we're, we have no substance, okay? Uh, we just got image, but we got no substance, and we're in big trouble if the Ukrainians or uh, the Russians come over the borders. And that's really all of Europe, okay? Um, they have been taking, you know, they've been using their money and, uh, and spending on their economy and all their bullshit and not on their defense, knowing mm-hmm. that, oh, America mm-hmm. will come and protect us. American blood, American boys and girls right. will go over there and fight on their behalf, mm-hmm. behalf you know? And I look at it like this. Okay, I'm from Germany. All right, my family's over there, and uh, but here's the reality of it. You know, at the end of the day, I'm an American. I'm not a German. Mm-hmm. And you know, if Germany decides they don't want to invest in their defense, well, guess what? If Russia rolls over and makes you into a parking lot, so so be it. You know what? It ain't none of my damn business. And uh, 
you know, sorry for my family, sorry for my friends and sorry for the for the innocent people over there. But that's the government that uh, they voted for. And that's what they get. Just like we here in the United States. Right. We voted for these clowns in our office right now. Mm-hmm. And like Kamala Harris said, you know, uh, you you get what you vote for. You know, and it's like the truth. Isn't that ironic. Right. Ain't that ironic? <laughs> so, <laughs> and so that's how I look at it, man. We, we can do more for ourselves. I don't care. I, I don't care if we isolate ourselves. We don't need the rest of the world. You nope. know, we, we had our own energy. We, we, let me tell you something. The whole world, the entire world has benefited from America. Yes. Look, TV, radio, uh, space travel, air travel, vehicles, cars, electricity, telephones, computers, Internet. I mean, this is all stuff. That came from America that the rest of the world is enjoying. Yeah. Right. And so to me, I look at it like this. If we can invent all that shit, we can invent a lot more. We really don't need you guys because the rest of you really aren't contributing anything. Right. Um, and so I'm all, I'm all, I'm all, you know, everybody thinks, oh, it's bad. We, you know, we should be one global, you know, you know, one global government, blah, blah, blah. Nope. It doesn't work that way because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, uh, I, I'll quote, uh, I believe it was, um, Gustav Le Bon, he said, man is a warring ape. You know, we've had over 12,000 wars since, you know, the beginning, you know, beginning of mankind, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, what makes you think anything's going to change? It's not going to change because we, we call, you know, we say, oh, racism, you know, it's so bad in America. Man, let me tell you something. Shut up. Unless you've been around the world, you have no idea what racism looks like. That's Take right. Take a guy, me, that's lived in 97 countries or worked in or traveled to, and I have seen racism. And man, let me tell you, it's much worse in other places in this world than America. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and so, uh, you know, <clears throat> I look at the, the bigger picture is, you know, America, it's an island in itself. It, it is, you know, we got the biggest GDP. Um, you know, we, we are a powerful country that's slowly getting sucked in by all these other countries. Oh, that, yeah. They don't want to be our friends. They, they don't want to be. They want our money. Thinks, you know. Yeah, they want our money, and actually they like to have everything we have and make us go away. Um, if you think the Chinese love Americans, you think the Russians love Americans, they just want to be our equals and we all get along and kumbaya, that's bullshit. That's okay, right. it's tribalism, man. <laughs> it's alive and well, tribalism. Everybody's going to be racist. Everybody's going to discriminate for, uh, you know, for themselves. Mm-hmm. Russians are always going to love Russians. They're not going to go, well, you know, Americans are our equal. No, it's just – it's, it's the human condition, man. It is. And I know that probably will bother a lot of people to hear that. Like, you know, you know what he's talking about. Well, you know what? I live in a world where I've been in in with all these different cultures and all these different peoples and all these different races. Mm-hmm. And I got stories I can tell all day long about this. And uh, I happen to know that uh, the rest of the world, they don't give two shits about Americans. Um, no. They would rather see us go away and take all our stuff from us. Well, let's um, put it this way. Care about us. The, the other so-called superpowers, China and Russia, neither of them would be where they are if they hadn't stolen our technology and our ways. I mean, uh, yes, China is a very communist country, but they certainly started realizing, well, we need to have some capitalism. Uh, and why is that? Well, because socialism and communism have to have capitalists to feed off of. They have to have somebody making the money and the lifeblood of their country. And even Russia, to a certain extent, I believe, did that not too long ago with uh, Glasnost or Perestroika or whatever they want to call it. But we that's, that's what we are to the rest of the world, it seems like, a giant ATM machine. 
Uh, and, yep. and, and, and the rest of the world is like a tick, and we're the host. And they're going to yep. feed off of us, it seems, until we've been sucked dry and we're nothing but a shriveled up raisin uh, by comparison to what we used to be. I'm like you, brother. I am sick to death of our money and our people going over to uh, different countries to, uh, to you know, fund them and to fight for them. And, and and then what do we get to show for it? Well, we get the broken bodies and the uh, and the uh, uh, handicapped bodies of our service people over here that uh, that now we have to take care of for the rest of their life or bury them, God forbid, in places like Arlington. And what do we have to show for that? <clears throat> Nothing. Yeah. Well, and, and by the way, the Chinese and the Russians aren't necessarily stealing everything. We're just giving it to them. We're selling it to them. You know, we, um, well, I forgot about just, that part. Yeah, but you're right. <laughs> you know, and think about it. And here's, so now I'm going to kind of go off on a little tangent on something else real quick because it kind of jarred my memory. Um, you know, two years ago, a little over two years ago, you remember the, the American scientists and the two Chinese uh, scientists, women, um, were intercepted at an airport. One of the Chinese women got away. But they were working out of a uh, from a, out of a laboratory. I think it was in Detroit or the Michigan area, and they literally had test tubes with viruses and, and things they weren't supposed to be transporting. Had them with them, and they would take them out of the country. Now, now I they do caught remember the guy, that. the American. I, I totally yeah. forgotten about that until you just mentioned it. Yeah, so <clears> they <throat> caught the American, and they caught one of the Chinese agents. The other one got away with her suitcase and her stuff in it. And uh, how interesting that it wasn't long thereafter this COVID virus, you know, is a is appearing and now this, this guy has been arrested by the fbi apparently he's still sitting in jail waiting to be you know prosecuted um and i'm not sure what happened to the chinese agent um is she in jail or they send her back but you know when we got stuff like that going on you have the nih you know funding you know mm-hmm. uh, gain of function and things like that in the wuhan lab makes you wonder <laughs> what the hell is going on and i'll tell you what's going on is my opinion but i think there's just too many people that are not loyal to our company, our country, but they're loyal to to money, and oh, they'll do yeah. whatever it takes to get that money, and they'll 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 stamp stamp out anybody in the way to get that money. That's the kind of world we live in, and we live in it because a lot of people have just lost their morals, their ethics, um, they have just lost their way, and it's all because, you know, I think it's just because you know it, it, the breakdown started probably forty years ago. Um, started with people like Dr. Spock saying, don't spank your kids, you know, uh-huh. um, you know, stuff like that. You know, when stuff like that starts setting in and all of a sudden, you know, we're all equal, you know, no, we're not all equal. Sorry, we're not all equal. And I'll say it because we're not. And uh, but, you know, they want you to believe that we're all equal and we're not equal when. OK, I'm all about <laughs> equal opportunity. But I'm not all about equity. You know, just because you participate doesn't mean you should get a trophy. That's right. There, so there, have, I tell people all the time, there is such a thing as income inequality because there's also such a thing known as effort inequality. And right. uh, just because you're in the, just because you're in the game doesn't mean that you get to reap the same benefits that the winners do. It just doesn't work like that. Life isn't fair. Suck it up, buttercup, and try again. Because I've had to, you've had to, uh, good grief, yep. you had to uh, repair yourself from a broken back and get back into life. Uh, and if you can do it, then by golly, they, they need to do the same thing. So... Uh, yeah, yeah that, that, that screw that equality stuff. What they want, Dale, it seems, is they want outcome equality. 
They don't, they don't, they, you know, they, they want the right. same thing everybody else did without putting in the same effort. And that's just a Absolutely. sin. And the, what you said earlier, uh, it's all about the money. The, even Je- Jesus Actually, himself it, it, said the love of money is the root of all evil. People that love money, yeah. love money more than they love people. And they have no problem watching. They would butcher half a world if it would make them the richest person. That's just the way evil people are. Yeah. And I, I, I actually tell people it's <clears throat> it's three things that uh, that drives drives our behavior and uh, and really is, is ruining our world. One is is money. Mm-hmm. Second is power, and those two are interchangeable. If you have money, you have power. If you have power, you get money. And the third mm-hmm. one is uh, the procreation of our own kind. Right. So we want to perpetuate ourselves, um, our 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 culture, our civilization at the uh, expense of everybody else. So those are the three evils as far as I'm concerned, money, power, and procreation. I use the other word, um, you know, P-U-S, but um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but, but that, can go, that can go either way. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, we, and, it, and you're right, it, money corrupts people. I've seen good men lose their minds over money and yep. do some pretty daggone evil shit, you know? Yep. Um, money corrupts and uh, so does power. The and, uh, money, so money, money has the same corruptive power, literally, in my opinion, as cocaine. Cocaine just does it faster. Uh, That's right. but, but I have seen good <clears throat> men uh, suddenly make it start making a success of themselves, and it turns them into absolute jerks. And suddenly, all they're all about is making more money, more money, yeah. more money. And it's just like the cocaine addict who wants more Coke, more Coke, more Coke. How can I get more? It's the same thing, yeah. just a different, uh, just a different drug, really. Absolutely. I've and, never, uh, <clears throat> I've never concerned myself. Look, everybody needs money. If they say money's sure. not everything, you know. Okay, money. Look. Uh, what was it? John Wayne said it's a lot. It's a lot easier clients have a Mercedes than on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, <laughs> money's you know money's important because it, it may not make you happy, but it sure can solve a lot of problems. Um, but uh, well, how much money you do you need? Yeah, yeah, help, exactly right. So I'm not saying money's a bad thing, but I'm also saying you know you don't have to let money control your life to the point where you can think of nothing else. In fact, people think about money the most are those that don't even have it. Right. And yeah. uh, that's all they can think about is money. Um, and, it, you know, and sometimes it consumes them. Sometimes, it, you know, it drives them to to try to enrich themselves and do better for themselves. But most oftentimes, most of the time, um, it compels people to try to take their your money, take money away right. from those that earned it and take some of theirs. And that's where we're at. Yeah. Uh, as, and that's that's as, why Jesus said it's the love, not money. Money's not evil. The love of money is the root of right. all evil. And so that's why people hold you up on the street to take your wallet. That's why politicians yep. pass laws to tax and take more of your money. Uh, that's why so many other crimes take place. Uh, the drug cartels, they love money. And a lot yep. of them love Coke, too. So now you got both evils intertwined there. But uh, it's always that, yeah. i got to have more money. So that, yeah. I'm with you there, buddy. Yeah. Um, anyway, so going back to the original question, I'm not going to Ukraine. Um, not going to help them. Um, I'll, I'll cheer them on the side. But uh, they're on their own, just like we've always been on our, our own, you know. Mm-hmm. I, my, my first real experience um, – what what kind of turned me off a little bit uh, and made me question, you know, our government and our politics was during the Clinton era when uh, we were in Mogadishu and Black Hawk uh, when you know Black Hawk Down happened and uh, 
Mm-hmm. I remember we were still looking for Michael Durant. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, by the way, Michael Durant, the helicopter pilot, he's actually running, I believe, for a governor um, or a Senate seat for Alabama now. Right. But um, when we were, uh, you know, we're out there looking for him, you know, we, you know, we didn't think this thing was over. The mission certainly wasn't over. A deed was still running loose. Um, you know, that was the, the, the reason we went there. So we thought, and then I remember one morning, um, at the time it was, uh, general Har- uh, not general Harrison, but, um, uh, the JSOC commander at the time, he stood in front of us, general Garrison. And he said, listen, guys, he goes, and I remember we had a big formation. You know, we had, uh, all the boots out there and the flags for the guys that we had already lost. And, uh, the early morning formation, and he goes, all right, guys, he goes, um, he started off, and he said, war is an extension of politics. And, uh, and the next thing he said was, uh, we've been directed to pack our shit and go back home. Uh, and we were all kind of like shaking our head, like, what does that mean? What do you mean go back home? And basically what happened was, as you remember, um, you know, Bill Clinton decided that uh, we got a bloody nose and, and American people were, you know, screaming about this. So we're going to go ahead and abandon mission. I thought, well, you know, what a shame. How many men did we lose that day? 18, 19 men plus 77 wounded. Right. And for what? We didn't accomplish the mission. And as soldiers, we stood there like, you know, we expect our chain of command. We, we expect our commander in chief, who was Clinton at the time, to have the same resolve to complete the mission as he was asking us to do. The same, just like the men that died trying to complete the mission, we expect him to have the same resolve. Yeah. And so what we did is we lost a handful of men and a bunch of wounded. For absolutely nothing. We got families out there right now that lost their loved ones, their sons, their husbands, you know, and and, uh, and their fathers for nothing. And so I thought, well, maybe that was just an anomaly. Maybe there's more to the story that I don't understand. But actually, so fast forward, to, you know, let's go to uh, Kabul, Afghanistan uh, in August. And what do we have? The same damn thing happened again, right? 13 more dead. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we withdraw piss poor planning. Um, and guess what? You know, Taliban has come back with a vengeance. Oh yeah. Over $80 billion worth of our equipment. Mm. And what did we achieve? We killed, we spent all that money and all those lives to kill one guy, UBL that we could have probably killed early on. Um, and, and even if we didn't kill him, was it worth all that after all, you know, is it worth all the lives that we've lost, all the lives that were spent, the billions and billions and billions of dollars that we, you know, we put into that, that campaign. Um, and I'll tell you something, you know, if anybody's out there wondering who am I to talk to that, I, I spent um, over nine and a half years, I spent quite a bit of time in Afghanistan. Um, and uh, I've seen what was going down. I saw I saw how it started. When it started, we had a mission and we operated with impunity. Man, we could go out and put the hammer on these people, you know, that needed it. Mm-hmm. Eventually what happened was the politics started setting in. Oh, and then yeah. all of a sudden, you know. The, you know, the ROE change, like, well, you know, you can't interrogate them. That's cool. You know, and then you had people like uh, John McCain, who mm-hmm. I consider, you know, I'll just put it this way. I don't look at him very favorably because mm-hmm. what he did, I feel like, is he actually put more people in harm's way because he got out there. Well, I was a POW in Vietnam, and I can tell you beating the guy up doesn't work. Well, I can tell you that beating the guy up does work. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I can tell you that from my days in elementary school. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, getting beat up and beating people up. Right. So <laughs> it does work. And I won't give, go into details how I know that. But, um, you know, there's things that do work. And there are, a lot, there are a lot of, you know, Americans that are alive because, you know, certain things did work, like interrogations. Okay. Mm-hmm. But suddenly it was a bad thing because, you, you know, 
the, the guy sitting on the couch back is, you know, somewhere in, in, in California watching this on the news. Go, oh, that's so cool. We're, you know, we're beating these people up, you know. If we would just be nice to the bad man, he'll be nice to us. It yeah. doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. They don't think like us, you know. I got a funny story I want to think about. I caught a, a, we caught a guy one time, Taliban, and uh, we were interviewing him because we can't in- interrogate him, right? You can only interview him for three days, and you got to make sure you feed him and water him, get him a, a little blankie and a pillow to sleep on, you know. And then after three days, if you don't get what you need out of him, you have to release him with all his gear, including his weapons. And guess what? I was ordered one time to give the guy all his IED uh, equipment back and what? his explosives, which I, yeah, I, that actually happened. I didn't do it. I, I, I just basically said, I'm not doing it. And I oh got my word. Shit, but, Give him back his explosives, huh? Yeah, to use against American boys back. Yeah, oh, my word. And this guy was, well, this particular guy I'm thinking of right now is a a card-carrying level 2 Taliban commander with at least 50 people uh, killed under his name. They must have been laughing at us. Well, yeah, it was. that's another story I haven't ever revealed publicly (laughs) um, that they will probably come. Um, But um, so this is what we're up against. So this particular guy, you know, we're, the case officer was like, you know, you you know, getting a little frustrated with him. And uh, he says, you know, you know who we are, right? We can put men on the moon. You know, try thinking this so like get this guy's attention. Like, damn, yeah, if you can put men on the moon, you know, who knows what you can do to me. So the guy responds, he goes, and he laughs, right? He goes, no way, no way you put men on the moon. And he held up his thumb and his, and his, uh, his pointer finger, index finger, and he's holding about an inch apart. And he goes, the moon is only that big. There's no way you could put a man on it. And we're looking at you and going, and these are the guys that are kicking our ass, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, I mean. Because the moon only appeared know, that big and it, it, to him from the ground, it, he thought that that was, that, that no man could stand on dude. it, huh? What? And these guys, look, they're, they're, they're dumb as rocks. These guys are just, you know, oh, wow. they don't have an education. They don't go to school. They herd sheep. You know, they're farmers. Um, you know, they're just, you know, they're peasants. They're, you know. And they've been recruited because of their religious ideology or they've been indoctrinated. Suddenly they become a fighter. And then when you at Tom, we put men on the moon, they think the moon's only the size of a nickel because when they put their fingers up in the sky, that's about as big as the moon is, you know. Uh, and so, <laughs> wow. And I'm thinking, you know, and we're looking at you shaking our head. And go, this is why we're getting our ass kicked, because we really don't understand how they think. Because mm-hmm. they don't think like us. And that's where Americans screw up, is we think everybody thinks like us. We think that everybody has the same cultural beliefs and, nope. you know, and philosophy. They think they don't think like this. Tell, I'm telling you, from a guy that's been around the world, every continent on the planet, okay, at every level, not everybody thinks like us. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's sad. And, how, you know, and we got people that, like I said, are sitting on the couch watching this on the news, and they're voting because this hurts their feelings, uh-huh. not realizing that game, that same guy that thought that the moon was only the size of a quarter is the same guy that will blow you and your family up and cut your heads off and beat the shit out of your kids and then and in front of you and then cut his head off. You know, mm-hmm. these people are savage, man. They just don't get it, man. They nope. just don't get it. They understand they force. Vote, yeah, they understand force. Yeah, they understand violence because that's what they were steeped in, and that's what they were raised in. And uh, I was, that's the same I thing. Was with, in, uh, go ahead. I was in South Africa, so I, I went down there on another project, and uh, basically it was a, a, a platinum mine, very large platinum mine. They had a problem, and uh, this basically a platinum mine is basically just a hole in the ground, a small hole in the ground, and uh, and the whole the whole facility was probably 100 meters square, 
And basically, they drilled down, pulled platinum out. And it was like one of the richest platinum mines in the world. But it was surrounded by three African villages. And uh, so they all wanted to cut, you know, a cut from this platinum mine. And they alleged that it was on their property, you know. And, and then they even went so far as to dig up graves in the middle of the night and then go over and rebury them on the on the company property go look see we got holy ground here and uh it was just <laughs> wow. it was crazy shit like that right it was just bizarre i mean out of control um and so my job was um there was two of us there i won't name the general um but he's a very famous general he's a good friend of mine um uh, and uh he's a black guy and uh his job was to go over there and basically build rapport with the villagers and blah 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 and my job was to go in and develop the uh, the security plan uh, for the facility because what they were doing is they were blocking the roads so that the workers couldn't come to work. They were threatening them and trying to shut down operations. And so um, I remember they would come out and they would protest, right? And they would raise hell in the street, you know. And uh, remember we wanted to video them and we were told, no, we can't video them. And I was like, why? He goes, because, ready for this? This is in public now. They're in public, raising hell, tearing shit up. And the reason we couldn't video them is because it's an invasion of privacy. <laughs> so they're in public tearing things up. How is that privacy? Exactly right. But that was the rule. You couldn't film is an invasion of privacy. So, you know, <laughs> wow. when we talk about our country and how bad it is, you know, you, people have no idea. My wife, um, so she's Indonesian, but we were in Hong Kong and, uh, my wife is very tiny, very small. And, um, she, she was walking down the street and the, the police in Hong Kong literally stopped her, took her purse from her, started going through it, looking for whatever they're looking for, actually just looking for drugs and paraphernalia. My wife don't do drugs. And uh, they, they literally marched into the alley, pulled out a, a urinalysis cup and told her to piss in the cup. And it tested her right there for drugs because she was small and very lean. You know, she weighs like 90 pounds. She's five foot. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they can do that all day long. You know, the, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm sharing, sharing examples about the rest of the world. So when Americans think that, you know, your rights are being violated because a police officer asked you what your name was and, and show them a driver's license, you have no idea what yeah. uh, having your vice, your rights violated really looks like. Um, but anyway, so it got me off on a little tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get, I get pretty passionate about this stuff because I see it, you know, firsthand. Um, I'm not an idiot. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm a, I use my critical thinking skills, and when I look at things, I analyze it, and I want to make sure that I got it right, yep. and that I'm not coming up with some, you know, baloney because of my emotions or, you know, anything like that. I want to make sure that, you know, I'm calling it like it, like it, it's like I see it, and what's actually what really is happening. Yeah. Um, I was going to give you another example about Hong Kong, for example. So in Hong Kong, um, there's a red light district called Wan Chai. It just so happens I happen to live in that district. I had an apartment there because I was, you know, anyways, that was with really, client was paying for it but this whole red light district had all the bars and restaurants and gyms and, you know and uh but it had a lot of prostitutes from all over the world i mean literally like colombians russians you know malaysians filipinos indonesians many were there um thousands literally in a four four block area and um and they had all these bars you can go in all the bars and all the prostitutes were there you know and uh but all the prostitutes except the African prostitutes, all the black women that came from Africa were not allowed in any bars, not one. They had to stand on the street corners to listen. Um, because the they were guys black? Were, because they were black, yeah. right? And then the other thing was um, on all the street corners, all the drug dealers were Nigerians, okay? They weren't allowed in the bars either, but they're out there hustling, sir, they're out there hustling uh, um, drugs. So I thought that was kind of an uh, anomaly for Hong Kong, um, Chinese, and then I went to uh, – I went to Europe, I believe it was uh, not Serbia, but uh, Slovakia on another uh, job. 
And uh, same thing. I was, you know, I keep ending up in these red light districts. They're, they're kind of everywhere, I guess. And uh, it was the same thing. All the black hookers and the Nigerians were on the street selling drugs and selling underwear and uh, because they weren't allowed into the bar. So when we talk about racism, discrimination and things like that, let me tell you something, man. And by the way, um, my children, I got three that are black, three children that are black children. OK, from their mother. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't call them African-Americans. They're, they're black. I'm white. You know, we're all Americans. That's how I see it. And uh, we're all red, know, got, white and blue, man. Absolutely, man. You know, my, I got Asian children, literally. Uh, I got Asian children and Hispanic children, you know. Um, so, um, but, so I'm not prejudiced is what I'm trying to tell you. I right. don't have a gay child. One of my children is hardcore, just hardcore lesbian. And I'm not judging. I'm not mad at them. I'm not, I don't try to convert nobody. I'm not, uh, all I am is a guy that's going on looking at the world objectively. And, uh, you know, and I don't see, I don't see race or any of this other crap. And it really, at the end, I don't believe these are things that really make a difference. Um, they're not the factors everybody wants to make them out to be, especially the left, you know, the partisan, uh, not partisan, but the identity politics, uh, you know, politics and things like that. That is a, to me, that is manufactured by politicians because politicians are the experts at manipulation. Okay? Oh, they yeah. understand the human condition better than anybody out there. They understand what gets people charged up, and they know it, man. Look, this goes back to the you know the Roman Empire, man. Mm-hmm. You know the Romans were like, you know, give them bread and circus, and we can do whatever we want in the Senate, man. Let's keep Pretty them much. distracted, you know. And here we are. This is what they're doing, right? Let's keep them distracted. Look. I called COVID every time I, I said, look, you know, COVID's not going to go away because as soon as it goes away, there's, there's going to be another one. Then there's going to be another one because COVID scares people, right? Fear works. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden the whole Ukraine thing started bubbling up as COVID was dying off. I go, watch. I said, like overnight, COVID will go away when the war starts over there. Mm-hmm. And here we are, right? Boom. All the masks exactly. mandates are being lifted. <laughs> and uh, it's all politics. And, and here's what pisses me off is – they know it, and it's and everybody accepts it. Well, you know, it's just politics. We don't play everybody's politics, and I'm like, you know, why are we even playing politics? You know, it shouldn't be politics. We should be just doing the. Right, you guys should be doing the right thing, right? And mm-hmm. it's not about you know whose party's going to win and blah blah blah. It should be about what is best for all Americans. What do the American people want? Stop lying, and we don't hold them accountable. Well, you know, exactly. that's the sad part. Well, that's we don't my, hold them I, accountable. I posted that something I got on my my page here uh, this morning, actually, before church. And it said, if we had been, if we had kept our government under constant surveillance throughout the years, we wouldn't be under their constant surveillance right now. Uh, If we monitored them the way our founders wanted us to monitor them and hold them accountable, we wouldn't be in this pickle that we are presently in right now. At all, absolutely. So, uh, Dale, let me that that, the government. Go ahead. The government. The government works for us. Yes, that's what people keep forgetting. They don't. We don't work for them. They work for us. Yep. And and everybody. And when you start depending on the government for everything, for your you know your COVID check and and you know your unemployment check and all these other benefits that you're getting, um, now who's really in charge? Who's working for who? You yep. are being, you are working for the government. They're giving you money and you're to indoctrinate you and to, and to control you, right? And mm-hmm. so, this is why I remember when um, what was it? Who was it? Uh, ah, shit! Okay, one of the presidents was giving away a thousand dollar checks. Uh, if you got elected, everybody's gonna get a thousand dollar check. Well, what is that? That's a bribe. You vote for me for for some people, a thousand dollars is a lot of money, mm-hmm. right? 
And that's all they see is the money. I actually want that thousand dollars. They don't care about everything else. And so, and there's more of those out there than there are people like us that go, you know, a thousand dollars. I blow a thousand dollars in two days. You know, <laughs> that means nothing. Even the COVID thing, right? Think right. about the COVID. Two thousand dollars stimulus check. I was like, you know what? Probably for the average American, that's maybe lasts a half a month, maybe. You know, maybe. And if that, if, and in one time, really, that's it. Um, mm-hmm. that does nothing but placate people go oh, see our generous, the government's so generous. They gave us $2,000, you know, and, and I, my wife, you know, she's from Indonesia, you know, when I tell the Indonesians about this, they're like, what your government gave you how much money? What? You know? And I'm like, yeah, over there, they don't have unemployment. Uh, either you work, you either create a job or find a job or you don't eat. It's just that simple. There's no unemployment benefits. Nobody's going to help you. And guess what? The Indonesia is some of the most. Um, I think some of the most happy people on the planet, mm-hmm. you know, as, of course they could be happier, but you know, they're, they all have a home. Generally their homes are very clean and maybe not very big, um, but they're clean, healthy people. And they seem to be virtually happy. Um, even though they don't have as much money as an American does, um, they're happy because, you know, they have their own independence. They can go work. They, yep. you know, they, ha- they have that latitude. The, the government's not coming to help them per se. Right. Um, well, even the here, Apostle Paul that, said, if a man shall not work, neither shall he eat. And that that needs to be reinstilled back into this American system here. Uh, this yeah. stuff, we, we got to take care of people so they don't starve. I'll tell you what, uh, you... Uh, you cut people off, uh, you know, from the freebies and the handouts and stuff and watch how resourceful they will become. They'll find a job yep. doing something or they'll go, you know, the, it used to be you could go uh, get uh, empty soda bottles and things like that, and turn them in for a refund. And a lot of people yep. did that. And that's how they ate that day. But, uh, yep. yeah, that, that's what needs well, to me, happen. Let me tell you a story in Indonesia. Um you know, we're talking about resourcefulness, things like that. So here's just an example, one of many. So we lived, you know, where we lived, there was no trash service, right? Most places don't have a trash service. So you basically take your garbage around the side of the house, you build a fire and you burn it in place. Um, and so what we did, a lot of times I had some old clothes, old shoes, things like that. You know, and my wife's like, ah, we're going to get rid of this. And she'd take it around to the fire pit and lay it there for the next burn, right? Get rid of it. Well, there was this one guy that would come by every day. And, uh, you know, he would come and pick through our garbage, right? He'd walk off with my ten- holy tennis shoes and, you know, torn up clothes and just, you know, what was our junk and garbage. And he'd walk away with it. And this went on for about a couple of months. And then one day he comes rolling by. He had a food cart, right? He's pushing a food cart along and a and, uh, nice little food cart. And my wife was like, wow. She goes, uh, looks like you, you're doing well. You got, you, you got a food cart. Because by the way, everybody sells food over in these food carts, and they do pretty good at it, right? Mm-hmm. That's how they sustain themselves. And he goes, yeah. He goes, I just want to thank you. He goes, because all that stuff you were throwing away, all that junk, he goes, I just took it. Um, you know, I either resold it and, uh, you know, and, or refurbished it, and I've made enough money to buy me this food cart. Now I'm actually out selling food and actually making more money. Wow. You know? And so I'm like, you know, there you go, man. Here's a guy that was digging through my junk. You know, and now he's created a, a business for himself, you know, and he, and so my that, wife that's and I That's more American than most Americans, unfortunately. Absolutely, dude. <laughs> and one man's trash is another man's really, treasure, so. Yeah, you know, and we felt kind of guilty, like, man, we, you know, we take a lot of shit for granted because. Don't we ever. Here we are throwing away garbage, and this guy thinks we're throwing away treasure, you know, and he's been able to create a life for himself and feed his family. You know, and he's great. He's got independence. He's not digging through trash anymore. He's got a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. a little more dignity 
as he walks around actually selling as a food vendor, you know, and, uh, you know, this is the, this is a stark difference between where we're at in America. I, you know, we look at, and so my wife, like I said earlier, my wife is five foot 90 pounds. Most Indonesians are very small and they're not fat. Okay. There's no, and they're not starving. They just eat healthy foods, you know? Um, and so she's come over to, since she's been in America, she's looking around, she goes, Oh my God. She goes, some of these people are like, five times my size, you know, and they're all like gigantic, you know, on um, the women and so forth and so on. And I'm like, you know, I said, our, our poorest people in America would be the richest people in Indonesia. And, uh, and she agrees. It's like, wow, you know, mm-hmm. we have so much here that we take for granted yes. that over there, you know, they look at us and go, wow, you know, I, I wish I could have something like that, even a little bit of that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, we, we don't appreciate that as Americans, nope. you know? And, uh, I think if we did, you know, if we did really appreciate that, you know, we always talk about, you know, feeding the hungry kids in, in Africa, right? So we always hear that, okay? And they collect people's money for that. We Poor little African kids are going hungry. Man, I'm going to tell you something. You know, that's just, think of the whole world, man. All the third world countries, they're like Indonesia. There's there's hungry kids going around everywhere, you know. There's people scraping to, to get by. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just not a phenomena of African kids. This is a, a global phenomena. And Look, one world government, all that's not going to solve this problem because it always comes down to, you know, it comes down to people having an opportunity to to grow and build themselves and that they want the dignity, uh, dignity of making it on their own. Yes. At least foreign countries, they want the dignity of being able to, hey, I was successful through my hard work, like the guy with the food cart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he basically swallowed his pride to go out and pick up my, you know, my old shoes and socks and shit, right? And so... But look where he's at. Now he's happy. He's got some. He's got his dignity back. There you um, go. We in America, when we lose our dignity, you know, like oh, I lost my job. I'm going down to the welfare office. And I'm going to make some more. And you know, that brings me to another point too. This, you know, this summer, my friend owns a large construction company here in, in Florida, and uh, he asked me if I would come and work for him. I go, really? He goes, yeah, because I could use your help because I can't find anybody to work for me. Not because he's a bad guy. He he does very well, but he couldn't find anybody to come work for him. And I believe that because I see for sale or for hire signs everywhere. Yes. In fact, there's a store, there's a candy store down the street from me that was selling, uh, starting off hiring people at $14 an hour selling candy. I was like, are you kidding me? And so wow. he was definitely not going to get a construction worker to come out there and work for that kind of money. Um, you know, and, and so I said, well, hell, I can help you out. He's going to pay me. I get to learn some stuff, you know, and, get, you know, whatever. So I was on the beach, which was cool too, because I got to look at all the girls in bikinis as I was doing 25,000 square foot deck. Make sure your wife doesn't hear this episode. Okay, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she knows, you know, she came out there quite a few times, you know, and she she saw what was going on. It's like, Hey, I can read the menu, right? Just as long as I don't order. Um, So (laughs) if you end up dead in your sleep from a, 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 some sort of an overdose, being that I know you don't take drugs, I'm going to suspect her immediately. Just so you know. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's all good. But anyway, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't find anybody to work for him. Um, and I saw it, you know, we tried hiring people. I tried helping to hire people and everybody was fat and happy on all these, uh, all these government checks yep. being subsidized by the federal government on top. People were making more money sitting at home on their ass than they were making coming out here and just working. Yeah. Subsidized um, by you know, me and were, you, not the government. Subsidized by me you. and you and our money. Yeah. That's really what it is. The absolutely. government has no, no no money but ours, and I know you know this, and absolutely. I'm preaching to the choir. Absolutely. So. Absolutely, dude. And that was what really, you know, was disconcerting and really irritated the hell out of me. It's like, you know, um, people out here, 
working their ass off. Me, look, it's all the stuff I do. And I'm out doing construction right now on top of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm doing performance coaching. I'm doing all kinds of crap. And I'm out in the sun all day from 0500 to 1700, you know, freaking slaving my ass off to help my buddy out here. And, and everybody else is just along for the free ride, you know, and, uh, and mm-hmm. they're still doing that. That's why I go to San Francisco to work because um, nobody wants to work. Nobody yeah. wants to work. It's crazy. Nobody oh. wants to work because they're getting all this free money, and uh, it's just uh, it's just mind boggling where we are today. You know, it, it absolutely um, is, brother. As a country, we are in a mess. Um, uh, we have certainly forsaken the constitutional principles that our founders set forth for us. We uh-huh. have not. Uh, we the people. Uh, felt that our duty ended at the voting booth, and I keep telling people, no, our duty is ever is never ending. We have, we need to hold our uh, elected officials accountable. Be always in touch with them. Always uh, reminding them of the constitutional boundaries placed around them. And that's uh, that's another whole podcast. It's something that I harp on a lot here on the podcast. But uh, be, 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 being that my phone is about to die, I want to go ahead and get a promise from you now. You're going to be back on the program again soon because I wanted to talk things Second Amendment with you being a Second Amendment podcast, but the conversation got much more interesting on other things, and we took a tangent. So when can yeah. I have you back on? Let's, let's, uh, after, after we end the program here, uh, just stay on the phone, and let's set a date for when we, can, when we can have you back on. Will that work? Yeah, absolutely, man. I enjoy that. I got a lot. I got a lot to talk about, as you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's why, it, 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 like, like you like sitting and listening to Terry Crews talk. I love sitting and listening to you talk, and uh, I, I learn a lot from you every time we have a conversation, whether it's on the air or just on the phone. So, uh, I would definitely I, look I always, forward to. I always tell my podcast hosts and radio hosts. They ask me, you know, how long you want to, you know. How long you want to go for and stuff? I got to listen, man. This will be the easiest interview you've ever done. All you got to do is say, hello, everyone. This is Dale Comstock. And you can just get up, go get some coffee, go shopping, come back in about an hour or two whenever you're ready. And I got this whole thing covered for you, okay? <laughs> Don't worry what I'm talking about. Well, this is covered, all right? <laughs> well, I tell you what, it is easy doing a podcast with you, brother. I will tell you that. <laughs> all right, you know, man. And I never talked this much before, man. Growing up, I was an introvert. I was like the quietest guy you could ever meet. And I don't know what happened to me. Somewhere along the way, somewhere in my 30s, I think uh, – I broke the shell and came out, and here I am, man, just, you know, killing it. So it can't well, shut me up anymore. <laughs> well, I love it, man. I love it. I tell you, I probably have have a lot to do with your, all of your life experiences. So uh, uh, say goodbye to the audience for now, Dale, and then I'll sign off, and we'll continue the conversation for a few minutes afterward. That's uh, right. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody, appreciate you tuning in. Um, you know, uh, you know, as you learn more about me, which you will learn more about me in the future, there's a lot of great things coming around the corner. Um, you know, uh, I said something earlier about politicians. I hate politicians. Me too. Uh, but uh, we don't have to be politicians. And um, I hope that uh, in, the, in the very near future, I'm going to have uh, uh, a hand in what goes on in this country and, and a powerful voice to help uh, do that. And uh, it's not about me. Um, I don't want to be a politician, but what I want to do is represent uh, people that think like me and, uh, and be a force for them. Um, and so I don't I always say things that are political. You're alluding to something that I would love to see happen. So let's save that for the next podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I'm not that, politically and, correct. Yeah. I'm not politically correct, right? As you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, if I offended anybody, 
you know what? Well, I'm sorry that what you see is what you get. Well, you can't even see me right now, but you can look me up. Um, you know, you look at the mustache. That says it all, right? Don't mess with the mustache. But anyways, I call it like I see it, and we need more of that. You know, we need more people out to tell the truth Amen. and, uh, and stop, uh, stop worrying about, you know, pleasing everybody else or the blowback they would get. You know, you mentioned earlier something about running for politics. Um, we were just having that conversation. I'm like, you know what? A lot of guys are afraid to step out in the limelight because of the blowback they're, they're afraid their families and friends will get because we see that, right? right? These guys go out there and all of a sudden their families become uh, become targets of opportunity. And mm-hmm. uh, they can't bring you down. They'll try to come after your family and, and your your history and your background. And uh, I don't care, man. You know what? Um, I'm here because of my family. Um, and I'm not – I'm not going to hide my family and hide myself to protect them. I'm actually going to come out and stand up and fight on their behalf and everybody else's families and kids that, uh, you know, are on the same page as me. To be honest with you, I, there's no redeeming a lot of people out there. Um, they're so far left. Um, they have lost their minds. I'm not worried about getting them back. I just want to make sure that, that we on the right uh, stay strong, um, keep leaning forward in the foxhole, and uh, keep taking the fight because if we don't, um, we, we're going to lose it all. Yes, so sir. thanks for listening again, everyone. And I look forward to uh, having some more of these conversations and uh, enlightening you in the way of the American badass. <laughs> <laughs> all right, brother. Well, listen, I, I've certainly enjoyed having you on. And uh, hang on the phone, if you would, as I end the program. And uh, we, we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit more. So, yes, it has been a fantastic program. And got to turn loose the American badass upon you. And uh, you can't say you weren't warned. But uh, we look forward to having him back on the program again soon. And this that does it for this episode of the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. And you know what I'm going to say now. That's right. Always keep a loaded firearm on your person. And when you're at home, keep it within reach. Keep it loaded. Keep it ready to go. Keep your head on a swivel when you're outside of your home. And never forget, incoming rounds always have the right of way. Royce and Dale, the American Badass Comstock, out of here. So turn it on.